Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Let's dive into the last installment of this series, Half-Truths, that we've been in for the month of August. Now, in this series, we've been looking at some of the more popular statements, both within Christian circles and really in the culture at large, that people cling on to to kind of help them sort of understand who God is and how He works in our life. There's statements like, God helps those who help themselves. Everything happens for a reason. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. God won't give you more than you can handle and love the sinner, hate the sin. And each one of these statements are used by well-meaning Christians many times. I know I've used some version of those at different times, but they have many times been a discouragement to other people. And depending on the circumstance of their life, when they hear something like this, it actually has at times, and I've had a unique perspective as a pastor to see this, cause people to walk away from their faith at least for a season of time, because it's so discouraging. And the reason that happens, ladies and gentlemen, is because at best, each one of these statements is only about half true according to the Bible. And that's why we've been digging a little deeper to say what actually is true, because each one of these statements brings up a really important point about who God is and how he works in our life. What is true? What is not true? So we've been unearthing that to really understand what do we believe and what is true about the character and nature of God and what did he actually say in the Bible. It's so important for us to understand what we believe because our beliefs directly impact and lead to our behaviors. And our behaviors all carry with them consequences, don't they? I talked about regrets just a minute ago. The reason you know a moment in your life is a regret is because of the consequence that came off the behavior. You're still living with a consequence you hate because of a decision that you made because of something you believed way back when. You thought, oh, I'll get away with this. It'll never come back to bite me. It's no big deal. This doesn't apply to me. I can get away with it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, lots of crazy myths kind of that we buy into sometimes, and those wind up hurting us later. And when we misbelieve, it leads to misbehaving. That every misbehavior or behavior that you look at and you say, that's horrible, wrong, shouldn't happen, it came from a belief that somebody had. They thought, they believed something that justified that behavior in the moment, at least. And, and it's true for us, too. This is why we got to take a step back and say, what is actually true about these statements? Now, this morning, we're going to look at the statement, love the sinner, hate the sin. And you don't have to raise your hand. But I bet with a crowd this size that some of you, at some point in your life, somebody has used this statement or some version on it on you, right? I love you, sinner, but I hate your sin, right? That was a lot of fun to be on the receiving end of that, wasn't it? It was probably infuriating, and we're going to talk about why. And partly why is because of the person who was telling it to you. And you had a certain feeling about that person. We're going to talk, first of all, about what is true, because there, there is some truth here, absolutely. We're going to talk about what's true, and then what is untrue. What is untrue about this statement as we get to the end, and I believe give you some great application for how to live out 
some really important teaching that Jesus gave us in the New Testament. So, without further ado, let's dive in. What is true about love the sinner, hate the sin? The true part is Jesus absolutely wants us to love people who are sinners. No doubt about it. It was something Jesus did all the time, and he asked us to come and follow him. Christian or Christian is one who follows Christ, right? And Jesus was even called in Luke 3, uh, 7.34, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend of sinners. This was a badge he wore like with honor. He loved it. He was given this, this, this name as a derogatory name by the religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day, but he didn't care. He loved sinners. Like, I'm okay with that. But this begs the question, we got to dig a little deeper. What exactly is a sinner? What exactly even is sin? So let's start with that question. Because I would imagine most of you have some idea what sin is. But when we look at Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for sin was chata. In the New Testament Greek, it was hamartia. And in both cases, they both mean to stray from the path or to miss the mark. To stray from the path or to miss the mark, as though you were shooting at a target and you completely missed the target, all right? Now, the mark or the path here is referring to God's intent for you and for me, his will, his desire for your life. And the moment that we veer off of that desire, that will for our life, we sin. This is how sin works, okay? In other words, sin can apply to any thought, any word, or any action that is contrary to God's will, like any of those. And it even goes a step further. This may sound a little crazy. This is how far it goes. It can even apply to the failure to act when we know we should. And in theological circles, this is considered the sin of commission, that you're committing the sin. This is the sin of omission. You have omitted a behavior that God intended for you to do. You wanted you to do this, but you didn't do it, and it was a sin. It, it's like when you see someone who is hurting, someone in need, and you just walk on by, and you do not help them. When you refuse to help that person, you sin because you veer off of the, tr the path of God's will. You miss the mark of what God desired for your life. And this is, this is true for, for every single person. In other words, that we have all had times where we have thought, said, and we have done things that we shouldn't have, and we have failed to think say and do things we should have. In other words, I think you can see this already, my point is we are all sinners. Everybody. Nobody has been perfect at this. Nobody that's ever lived. The Apostle Paul said it this way in his letter to the, the Christians in Rome. He said, and let's read the highlighted words together, he says, for all have sinned, that means all people, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Paul gives us this amazing confession just a couple chapters later in chapter 7, where he says this. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul, wrote a third of the New Testament. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do 
I, uh, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He says, is this a relatable frustration? Anybody else in the building feel this ever, right? Like, I have felt it. Paul's saying, listen, this is how we all live. We all, it's, it's easy to do sin. Easy. Like, that, that's your default setting to want to go back. It is hard, and you have to be very intentional about doing the will of God. Really important. But this is our job, and this is what he's called us to. And there is so much value and, and blessing and reward and satisfaction from obeying God, doing it right. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul challenges his young protege, Timothy, who is now a pastor in Ephesus. And he's saying, when you teach these young Christians, and you're, you're preaching as a pastor, here is a message I want you to keep on preaching. Don't ever stop saying this. As a matter of fact, one of my pastor mentors would say, this is one of those things that you say it, and spray it, wheel it, and deal it over and over and over. You don't stop saying it. Here's what Paul said to Timothy. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's right. He says, don't you ever forget that, Timothy. Don't you ever stop preaching. That's why he came for us. And, and then Paul ends by saying, of whom I am the, the worst. Paul's saying, listen, when it comes to sin, I'm the worst. I am the worst. I don't know if you know this, but before I was a Christian, Paul says, is, is what he's implying here. I used to be a Christian murderer. I would gather them up and persecute them, some of them to death, have them imprisoned. Like, God, I am not going to be fronting, you know, and, and cutting in the front of the line when it comes to the pearly gates. Like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be like coming in with my, heads over, my hands over my head because I'm, I, but you know what? God chose to forgive me and he's used me in a great way. And because of that, I am so grateful. But he says, I'm the worst. I love this. You see, when the danger in us saying love the sinner, though it may be theologically correct that we are to love the sinner, it isn't exactly what Jesus commanded us. And this is a very important distinction to be made in the New Testament. That what Jesus actually commanded us wasn't love the sinner, but to love your neighbor in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, Love your neighbor. So, the question we got to ask is, who exactly is this neighbor, right? Your neighbor, and Jesus made this clear with many different teachings, many different parables, like the, the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Your neighbor is everybody you know and everybody you don't know. It's everybody that you like and everybody you don't like. It's everybody you agree with and even all those people you don't agree with, even politically, and some of you are going, what? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you got to love them too, right? He's saying, yes, that's it. And every time that you individually or we collectively, we give, we give, we share, or we serve other people, we are, we are submitting ourselves to the call of God to love our neighbor. That's when we do that, when we come together. And it's so important that we understand this is something that Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. And he didn't stop there. He took it a step further. He says, I want you to love your enemies too. He, he's the only one that ever taught this. No other religious leader in history taught this but Jesus. 
In other words, he's saying, all the people who have wronged you, I want you to love them. All the people who have hurt you, that stabbed you in the back, all those people that you have generously and joyously have given and given and given to serve those people, and they refuse to reciprocate with you. It's just broken your heart. He says, I want you to love them anyway. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love your neighbors. To sum it up, let me give it to you like this. Jesus taught, every sinner is my neighbor, and some are also my enemies. But we are commanded, commanded to love both. And when we do, the world changes. This was Jesus' secret weapon to change the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ as we love our neighbors and we love our enemies and to be reminded that our neighbors and our enemies, just like us, are sinners. We're all sinners. But this is how the world changes. This is how he wanted to do it. So incredibly important. And Jesus wanted us to understand that if, we, if he had commanded us to love the sinners, then we would start looking at other people more as sinners than as neighbors. And by default, we would begin to have a judgmental attitude towards other people. Think about this for just a second. Think about this statement. Here's the statement I want you to think about. If I love you more as a sinner than as my neighbor then I am bound to focus more on your, let's say it together, more on your, your sins. Isn't that true? Why? Because you're a sinner, right? And so you're sinning, so I'm going to focus on the stuff that's wrong with you and the sin that you're doing because, you know, because you're a sinner. Because runners run and swimmers swim and sinners sin. So I'm just going to be here spectating, watching you sin, praying for you, hope you do better, right? And it becomes... Just by default, we start to get prideful, arrogant. We start to look at other people and think, I'm better than them. We start thinking in our mind, you're a sinner, but I graciously choose to love you anyway. Go ahead, pat me on the back. I've done so well, right? And if you're thinking to yourself, wow, that sounds really self-righteous, prideful, pompous, arrogant, you're exactly right. And now you just figured out why Jesus never commanded us love the sinner. He knew our human tendency to judge other people, especially according to their sin. <laughs> and he knew that his followers were never to go down that path. He's like, I don't want you to have this approach when it comes to the way you love and engage other people in this world. And I want to give you a couple of illustrations of his teaching this morning where he explained just that. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives us this beautiful parable. And this parable essentially is about two men. One of them was a Pharisee and one of them was a tax collector. Let me explain. A Pharisee, the word Pharisee literally means those who are the separate ones, those who are set apart. And their perspective was, we are going to live apart from all you normal, everyday, average people because you might taint us and keep us from being holy. And in every sense of the word, the Pharisees felt that they were better than everybody else got Pharisee over here. Other one was a tax collector. Tax collectors were known to be some of the worst sinners that there were. By the Jewish people, they saw the tax collectors as traitors 
because these were Jewish people who had turned on their own people, consorted with the Romans, the enemy in other words, and said, we're going to collect taxes for the Romans and we're going to get extraordinarily wealthy in the process. We're going to live off of your income as we pay the Romans their taxes. And that's exactly what most of them did. And they were hated, I mean viscerally hated by their fellow countrymen, the other Jews. And so here are the two guys. Jesus tells a story about they're coming to the temple to pray to God. Now this ought to be interesting, right? So Luke 18, verse 10, here's what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, just like you might think, God, thank you that I'm not like other people robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here, to which I'm thinking the tax collector's thinking, I'm standing right here. I can totally hear you. It's a little <laughs> offensive, right? But he didn't care. So he says he's continuing to pray. He's like, and now I'm going to brag a little bit on myself. He says, um, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. You see, Jesus' point in saying this about the Pharisee wasn't that what he was doing was wrong. It was why he was doing it that was wrong. He was doing these religious things, which were wonderful, even down to this day. Fasting and giving a tenth is honoring to God. But he was doing it for his own self-aggrandizement, his own kind of self-righteousness to be better than other people, to feel better than you. That's why he did it. And Jesus is like, not okay with that, right? And then he goes on to say, okay, now let's take the camera and shift over to the tax collector. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. Let's say it together, a, a sinner. He confesses it to God. And then the way it usually went down is you confess the sin after that. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And here are my sins. Please forgive me. This is so crucial, people. Look at this. He says, I tell you this. This is Jesus' words. I tell you this. He says, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, in right standing, forgiven, completely the weight of guilt lifted off his back before God. That guy, instead of this guy, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled or humiliated. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus implied, by God himself, he will lift them up. And Jesus is showing us right here that if love the sinner becomes our mantra, like the Pharisees, then we will start to look at people more as sinners than neighbors, and we will stop loving them, and we will start judging them. And he says, that's not for you. That's not what I want you to do. And what's beautiful, before he even tells the parable, back up in verse 9, he tells us who the parable is for. Verse 9, he says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, self-righteous in other words, and looked, let's say it together, looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. People who are self-righteous and look down on everyone else. I see some of you smiling because you know somebody like this, don't you? You know somebody like this. 
Have you ever, have you been around somebody like this? Are they pleasant to be around? Just a joy, right? <laughs> Wonderful. When a person like this who is self-righteous and looks down on everyone else is trying to win you over to their point of view, is that very effective? Don't they wind up pushing you further away than they do draw you closer to the God they're talking about? Like when you meet somebody like that, I have seen it over and over. People are like, I don't know where you're coming from and who the people are that you go to church with. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And depending on where your, your faith is, people might even say, and I don't even want to have anything to do with your God because of that self-righteous, look down on everybody kind of attitude that you have. It's repulsive. It pushes people away. It was the opposite of the spirit and heart of Jesus Christ and what he taught. And I want to ask you a question right now, and this is going to sting a little bit, but I need to ask it anyway. Do you ever come off this way to other people? Think about it. Do you come off self-righteous, look down on other people, comments that you make, things that you post? It's so important that we ask the question because Jesus speaks directly to this issue of judging other people. And he says, when you are tempted to judge, here's something I want you to remember. And he plopped this teaching down right in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 1, Jesus says, here's what to do when you are tempted to judge other people. He says this, he says, do not, let's say it together, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging the standard, uh, pardon me, the standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I want you to notice here, Jesus just taught the golden rule. Judge unto others as you would have others to judge unto you. And think about it for just a minute. That if if you were going to stand trial before all of us here in this room, and we were going to somehow, there was videotapes of every sin you had ever committed. This is pretty horrible thing to think about. And they're about to be put up here on the screens, okay, for all to see. And everybody's going to get to make whatever judgment call they want to about you. Wouldn't you like to have a moment to defend yourself for just a second and say, look, 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 give me the benefit of the doubt, please. Believe the best. Like, before you see this, you need to understand the home I grew up in and the situation I was in and the people I was listening. I was listening to the stupidest people that were telling me the dumbest things, and I believed them. I shouldn't have, but I did. And you would want to be able to plead your case, wouldn't you? Jesus is saying, exactly. So show that same courtesy and benefit of the doubt to others before you judge them. It's so important to get that down in our hearts Now Jesus makes a shift in this teaching. And there's not many points in the New Testament where I say, okay, this is, I really feel like Jesus doing a little bit of comedy, okay? And this might not fit with your own personal theology, but let me just say, I think this was Jesus being a little bit funny, okay? Here's what he says. Now before I get started, I got a couple of props I need to pull out. Okay. All right. Pretend like you didn't see that. Okay. All right. He says here, he says, um, And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log, a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, 
let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye. I got some tweezers right here. Won't you just step right over here? This is so nasty. You got a little speck in your eye. This is a sin in your life. You totally need to confess, and you're going to thank me later that I brought this to your attention. You need to come over here. Let me help you out just a little bit. He goes on to say this. He says, he says how can you think... How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And I can't help but think people in the first century hearing Jesus teach that did exactly what you just did. They, 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 they chuckled a little bit. Because think about it for a second, and some of you have been in this situation. When you have somebody who's all hot and bothered, they're all worked up to come and confront you about the sin in your life, but yet they have failed to confront the sin in their own, there is something that wells up in, in you, and there's something you would really like to say. You are nothing but a, go ahead and help me out, nothing but a, a hypocrite, right? Guess what Jesus says next? Here, here's what he says next. He says, hypocrite! Exclamation point. He screams it. Hypocrite! Why are you doing that? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log. Let me get back up in there. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Woo, man, I really can't see much better now. That, you're right, Jesus. Wow, genius idea. In other words, this metaphor is a picture of taking a moment, looking in the mirror, and saying, what is it in me I haven't confessed? What is it in me that I haven't dealt with? that I need to confess to God, that I need to repent of. Repentance literally means to do a 180, to turn away from it and eliminate it from my life. You see, he says to get rid of the log, not just to kind of pull it off and have it on the side, but to get rid, like it's gone now from your life. So this might take weeks, it might take months to get rid of your log before you go talk to your neighbor. He says, first get rid of the log in your own eye. Do the hard work. And guess what? Went through that hard work, a confession and repentance, leaving it with God, trusting God, it will humble you. <laughs> you will come to your friend in a much different state. You will not come self-righteous and arrogant and prideful at all. And he says, he ends by saying, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. There is something about it. When we get fixated on the sins in other people's life, it blinds us to the sins in our own life. We can't see them. We think, I'm good. Will, what are you talking about me confessing my sin? I need to help her. I need to go get all up in his business because he's the one messing up right now. Jesus is saying, hold up there, buddy. Before you come in there with both six shooters blazing, you need to hold up, take a look in the, in the mirror, look at your own heart, because I promise you there's some work to be done, absolutely. And the fact that you don't know where it is, you need to go ask somebody, hey, you think there's anything I need to work on? And ask the brutally honest friend that will tell you the truth. Oh, yeah, actually, I made a list right here. Let me give you things you need to go work on. Like that is, it, absolutely. And start there and start with a heart of humility. And he says, and through the filter of humility, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend. You see, Jesus doesn't say, don't ever deal with the sin in anybody else's life. Don't ever talk to them about the stuff that they need to work on. He doesn't say that. He says, first deal with yours. Come with the heart of humility 
and then sit down with love, compassion, speaking the truth and love. Sit down with a heart of humility and compassion and talk to them as a person who is a fellow sinner, someone who also struggles with sin. So critically important. You see, the untruth about this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, is this idea, the untruth that many people believe that Jesus wants us to hate the sin in other people's life. Jesus never says that. It's not what he teaches. Sometimes people will take the verse from Romans 12, 9 that says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good, and miss the point that Paul here was talking to his readers to say, no, your love must be sincere. Another translation says, your love must not be pretending. It should be authentic. It should be real. It shouldn't be like, oh, I'm saying this because I think this is what you're supposed to say when you really care about people. No, you actually care. You actually love. And secondly, he says, hate what is evil in your life, where you're tempted to fall to evil and the temptation in your own life. Hate that. In other words, hate your sin. Don't hate theirs. Hate yours. Hate it so much that it causes you to repent of it and turn back to God. Be more focused on your own business. And then at times, and this is kind of a rarity, God may call you to go help somebody with theirs. And be so careful in that moment that you don't come arrogant and you don't fall to the same temptation yourself. So incredibly important. And he tells us, be mindful of your heart because people, human beings, tend to be judgmental. That's right. There's a story I came across this week I thought was, was a brilliant illustration of this. Gigi Graham, the eldest daughter of Billy Graham, remembers a time where she was her father's date to the 75th annual Time Magazine banquet. It was like a, a big party that they had. And it was in Washington, D.C., and all these dignitaries were there. And this was back during the Clinton administration, and it was right after Bill Clinton had been impeached that he was indicted for perjury, lying under oath about a particular White House intern. And all of this had just come to hit the press, and he and Hillary were at this dinner. And she remembers, my father could not have been more gracious and kind to him, and to both of them. And when they got in the car to ride back to the hotel, she said they, they couldn't help but talk about them. And, and, and he said he, she could hear her father's heart breaking for them. Like there's a tough road ahead for them. Everybody is judging them. Everybody is gossiping, gossiping about them. And he says, but Gigi, here's something we need to never, ever forget. And here's what he said. He says, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. And it is our job to love. Does this mean that Billy Graham... Just felt like it was okay what Bill Clinton had done? Absolutely not. But he didn't let that get in the way of his ability to love that man when he was hurting and broken. And I just want to ask the question today, who has God put in your life that's hurting and broken? Somebody who's hard to love. Somebody who you can't help but sometimes fixate on their sin. That God's challenging you to say, I need you to stop looking at them as a sinner but as a neighbor someone that I put in your life to love. And today, would you be just open to say, God, help me to stop filtering people through that. Stop thinking of myself as better than others, but to begin to confront my own sin and let you use me to show love to people who may, by that one act of love, might draw them closer to you. 
Here's the prayer of application I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, help me to love people as neighbors instead of sinners. I want to be quick to repent of the sin of my own life. And then, with humility and compassion, help me to speak the truth and love to my neighbor. I trust you for the forgiveness of my own sin. And today, I want to encourage you that if you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sin and become the Lord and leader of your life, you can become a follower of Jesus today. You can become a child of God right here, right now. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And those of you who have already done that, I just want to encourage you today to be open, to say, God, help me to stop looking at people as sinners, but as neighbors, and help me to confess and deal with the sin in my life before I'm quick to point out other people's and come with humility and compassion. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.